take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20, we're continuing our systematic study through the Gospel of Luke. And as the kids, uh, as you turn there in your Bibles, just want to say thank you to Judy uh, Player and Ethel Hope. They decorated the sanctuary, as they always do. It absolutely looks wonderful. So make sure you let them, let them know of, their, of your appreciation and your thanks. Uh, and also just wanted to uh, welcome uh, Reggie Hopkins, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. He's on vacation and decided to fellowship with us this morning. Uh, we were over with him last uh, Tuesday for our Thanksgiving uh, celebration. Had a wonderful time together. Uh, it's a great privilege to be able to partner with godly men like Reggie and churches like Calvary. Uh, just to let you know, we raised about $700 for uh, Heavenly Hope Food Pantry and the Hope House uh, for this Thanksgiving season. So it was a wonderful time of, of fellowship together. Um, I want to continue to lift up churches in this area that God that are proclaiming the, the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, well, if you take your copy of God's Word, I'll, I'm going to start in verse 27. I'm going to read to the end of verse 44. Uh, I'll pray, and then we'll dive into the Word of God together. Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 27. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." David thus calls him Lord, and so how is he his son? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you now. We thank you for the gift of your precious word. God, we thank you for the gift of your presence, the gift of your name, that we are called by your name. Uh, dear God, I pray that you who are holy, who are righteous and just, that you would just allow us to experience your holy presence now. And God, when we enter into your holy presence, we are reminded of our sinfulness. Our sinfulness of this past week, God, how we have committed acts against you, we have, how we have rebelled, God, how we have been ungrateful and have had a, a bitter and complaining spirit. And God, we know that you, who are faithful and just, when we confess our sins to you, you will cleanse us of our sins and you will purify us from all unrighteousness. So God, because of the Lord Jesus Christ's blood, we come to you now asking for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray that you would purify us, correct our minds and our hearts, that we would live as your servants after your own heart. 
Dear God, we thank you so much for the Park Baptist Church. We pray for those who are sick among us. We pray specific this morning for Geneva Couch, God. We pray that you would just be with her, Lord, as she is uh, having a hard time breathing. God, I pray that you would just be merciful and kind uh, to her heart. And God, there are so many in our community um, who are sick and hurting. God, I pray now, this morning, that you would con- just minister to them by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father. God, I pray as many of those in our congregation are grieving, Lord, or the loss of a loved one or child, I pray that this Christmas season would be a time where they reflect um, your presence, God. Uh, and on the resurrection, that one day, Lord, one day they will be with their loved ones again in your presence and glory. Father, we pray for the gospel to go forth in our community. Uh, we pray specifically for Calvary Baptist Church this morning. We thank you so much for Reggie Hopkins and his love for you and for your, his love for your word. We pray that you continue to anoint him in the preaching of your gospel, Father. We pray that you would bless his preaching, that people would come to Christ under his ministry, that people would grow in Christ as he heralds your word. And we pray for Calvary as he is away from them this morning. We pray you would just bless that congregation as the one who stands and proclaims your word would do so faithfully and would do so in the power of your Holy Spirit. Continue to form that congregation into the likeness of Christ. Move them from the one degree of glory to the next. And God, now as we come this morning to the sacred hour, the time where we get to hear from you, God, I pray against distractions. I pray against the things that may be moving in our heads and our minds, uh, the worries of this past week. God, I pray that you would speak to your people. God, I pray that I may decrease, Lord, that you may increase, that your name would be heralded today, Lord. We pray that as I announce your word, the Holy Spirit would speak through me. God, I pray that you would bring this word to bear upon the hearts of your people. You know exactly what people need to hear this morning. They do not need to hear a word from a man. God, they need to hear from you. So God, I pray that you, in your power, in your might, take all the glory, honor, and praise this morning through your word. I pray that you would fix our hearts on your word. Allow us to submit to what you have for us this morning. I pray that you would build us up into full maturity into Christ teaching and admonishing us by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Seventeen uh, century philosopher John Locke wrote an essay called The Tablu Rasa. Uh, in that article, uh, Tablu Rasa, he, he put forward an idea that we are all just a blank slate when we come into this world, that our, 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 our personalities are, con- are, are conditioned by our experiences and by our environment. Now, I know many of you came this Thanksgiving, uh, this post-Thanksgiving Sunday and saying, man, I cannot wait to hear about a 17th century philosopher, John Locke. Uh, so why do I even bring that up? Well, we are in this middle of Luke's gospel, and we're looking at our authority. Jesus' authority was challenged at the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 21 through 8, and the rest of it is continuing to help us understand how we view the world and how we view specifically authority. Well, what John Locke did in that essay is he helped people in the the nurture versus nature debate. Are Are we born a specific way or are we nurtured or conditioned a certain way? Well, John Locke is the father of classic classical liberalism, which says that we are conditioned by our environment, that our authority in our life is based on our experience and the experts we we are conditioned by. But he's wrong. He is wrong. We are not only conditioned 
by our environment and our experiences, but we are conditioned by our nature. We have a nature that is given to us by God, and because we live in a fallen world, we have a nature that has set itself against God. We are interpreters. Everyone in this world are interpreters of certain facts. So when we look at our authority, it's, it's very important to understand how we interpret events. Now those who, you know, let's get to give an example. Let's say someone loses a job. Well, when someone loses a job, it's they, they can interpret their losing of a job in a very specific way. Well, life is not fair. I, can't no, I can no longer provide for my family. Things are unjust. Or you can interpret that in light of the revelation of God's word and say, God is doing things by his sovereign hand to, to work and move in my life, to form me into the likeness of Christ. And even in me losing a job, God is giving me an opportunity to trust him. So we are interpreting this world or a relationship. You know, our, our world says treat people based on your past experiences. Uh, how many times have you uh, interacted with someone and they treat you based on their own past experiences? Now, can I just say, I've, I've dealt with this as a pastor. Every single one of you has, who has been a Christian for a period of time has experiences of, of pastors, both good experiences and not so good experiences. So you have a choice to treat me based on your past experiences or you can treat me based on God's word and you do unto me as you would have me do unto you, the golden rule. So when we look at this, we have to ask ourselves how we view the world. What authorities do we appeal to? Do we appeal basically to our experiences that we have been conditioned by the blank slate of this life? Or are we going to interpret this life based on God's word? It is vital. Because the things that happened in the 16th and the 17th century has formed an American culture in terms of how we think. And if we don't understand our history, we're not going to help others reveal how they think. So when we, we approach this text this morning, we see Jesus entering into a conversation with a group of people who are interpreting the world wrongly. The Sadducees. So I pray as you look at this section of Scripture you will ask yourself of your own view of the resurrection, your own view of your authority, and what is true in your life by God's word. If you want to follow along in the bulletin provided for you, flip on the back, and here's the first uh, truth we'll look at is the denial of the resurrection. We see the denial of the resurrection. Look with me again in verse 27. It says, There came to him some Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection. Now the Sadducees, they, they are, were a sect in Judaism. They did not believe in all of the Old Testament, but they really banked their whole life on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Verse 28, they, these Sadducees, asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and rise up, raise up offspring for his brother. So right off the bat, what the Sadducees do is they quote Scripture. They go to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and following, and they say, this is what God says through Moses in the Old Testament. If, if one of our own brothers uh, dies without bearing children, it's the, it's the family responsibility to marry and, and bring on that family name. Now in our culture, that just sounds kind of weird. You know, it sounds weird in our culture. Why? Because we live where individuals king. 
the idea of community, the idea of doing something for the sake of your family and for the sake of others as, as foundation of who you are is foreign to us because in our society, you are king. You do what you want when you want to do them. But that was not the culture of the Israelites. So it's important that they come on right, up, right off the bat and they say, this is the scripture. Then what you see is how they interpret that scripture. This is what we all have to deal with. You know, the, the battle for the Bible is still live and strong. Every day we are in a fight. Are we going to trust God's holy word or are we going to trust the, the experts in our culture? We are in a very dangerous place. So these, these people, they were not outside of the faith, were they? They were within the faith. They would have been part of the religious people. So there are a group of people who are in America who are part of the Christian church who are looking at the scripture and then interpreting it wrongly. Look what happens. He lays down the scripture and then he gives this hypothetical situation in verse 29. Now, there were seven brothers who first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her and likewise seven left no children and died after the woman also died. So it kind of gives this scenario. Right? And then he says this. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will this woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. You see what they're, they're, what they're doing? They're looking at the scripture, but they're interpreting the scripture based on their own experience. Rather, letting the scripture speak for itself. It's vital because so many times in our culture, that's what we do. Instead of trusting God's word, and saying that God is right, maybe we need to rethink about how we're looking at God. What does our world say? Well, this is our experience, and because of our experience, this is how we have to reinterpret what the Bible says. If, you, if, you're, if you're careful and you look at the voices in our culture, especially those who are in the Christian church, specifically affirming same-sex marriage, this is their argument. Instead of submitting to God's word, they're saying, based on my condition, based on my experiences in this life, the tabula rasa or the blank slate of my life, I'm going to reinterpret what the Bible says. It's exactly what the Sadducees did. So they created a scenario and put Jesus on trial with this question. They, they, we know from the beginning they denied the resurrection. So they believed after death there was no more, that the, the life was not going to come back from the grave. So what's their stated reason for not believing in the resurrection? Here, it's marriage. It, this doesn't make sense to me. How can a person have more than one spouse, and then who are they going to be married to in the resurrection? Therefore, if we don't know who they're going to be married to in the resurrection, then therefore the resurrection cannot be true. That's their argument. Now, in my conversations with people, I, I talk to people all the time who deny the resurrection. And usually I get two primary reasons of why people deny the resurrection. You may have more, but I think I have two. First is that people don't really want accountability. The bottom line is, is, if we believe in a resurrection, we're going to have to answer it to somebody. And we don't want to. So it's just easier to say, you know, nothing's going to happen after I die. I don't have to answer to anybody. I can live the way I want to. I think that's the first reason, and that's the reason that's usually not stated that way, but I think that's the, the main reason of why most people don't believe in the resurrection. The second reason, it, it sounds spiritual, but it, it, it's, it's a form of agnosticism which means we just don't know. I run into a lot of people who 
who don't want to talk of the resurrection because they say, how can we really know? We, don't, we, can't, we can't really know what's going to happen. Therefore, I can't really say if there's going to be a resurrection or there's, or there's not. But here's the thing. When we are born in this world, we are not born with a blank slate. We are born with the idea of denying God's authority, of denying the resurrection, of denying the fact that we could really know. It says that in Romans 1 that we actually hold down the truth. So one of us in this life, all of us who are, who are here breathing, are under the curse of Adam, who have been under the curse of Adam, fallen, have denied the truth of the scriptures. That's what we see here. So when we, when we look at this, it comes back to who is the supreme authority. Is the supreme authority for the Sadducees the scriptures? No, it's their own interpretation of those scriptures. Second thing we see here is the difference in the resurrection. The difference in the resurrection. Look what Jesus says in verse 34 and following. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and the sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Jesus says there's two ages. Now, if you look at the same example in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, Jesus says that you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. He doesn't say that here, but keep that in in the back of your mind. We'll come back to that later. Here he's basically saying there's, there's this age and there's an age to come. When we look at the age of glory, what's going to happen to us in heaven? You know, as I've said numerous times before, heaven is not going to be a place where we're all floating around in clouds like Bugs Bunny playing the harp, right? That is not going to be heaven. Heaven is probably more like earth than not like earth. There is continuation, but there's also discontinuation, right? There's things that are continue and there's things that are not going to continue. So the Sadducees looked at the resurrection only with the line that it's going to be the same. What I know from this life has to be in that life, because that makes sense. Well, we can't interpret that life without knowing what it says in God's word. So what is this age versus that age? In this age, people marry and are given in marriage. In that age, the age to come, there will be no, people will not marry or be given in marriage. Why? Why is there, there, is there no marriage in the resurrection? I would say there is a marriage in the resurrection, but there's only one marriage. The marriage in the resurrection is the marriage between Christ and his bride, the bridegroom and the bride, the church. So we may, me and my wife may not be married, but we're going to be part of the same marriage. We're going to be part of the marriage of, of, of Christ and his church. But we also see the, in this age we die. We know that. We experienced it firsthand. People that we love. But in that age, there's going to be no more death. Revelation 21, 4. In this age, we are less than angels. In that age, we are equal to angels. Angels. In this age, we are creatures. But in that age, we are the sons of God. The sons of the resurrection. If you would, for a second, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're in Luke, go to Acts, and then Romans. I want you to see this in Romans chapter 8. Because we are both now 
sons of God, sons and daughters of God, being born again by His Spirit, those of us who have faith in Christ. But we are also waiting for the full adoption of Christ. So look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Romans 8, starting in verse 18. Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, which is God's church, me and you, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, have, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we have hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. When you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that you have been transformed. You who were once dead have become alive in Christ. You are children of God. You are sons and daughters of God. You have been given the spirit of adoption. And because that spirit of adoption lives in you, you long. You long for that day when your adoption is finally finalized. For those of you who have gone through the adoption process, it's usually a pretty long one. Uh, you have a lot of things that you have to do, a, a lot of visits, a lot of paperwork, a lot of waiting and waiting and waiting. And then one day, the final signature is signed and the child is put into your arms. That's the picture here that we have already been adopted, we've already been chosen, we have already have been born again by God's Spirit, but one day we are going to finally be put in front of God Himself and be adopted as His children. It's a beautiful thing here. So what, what the Sadducees, they didn't get is that God's Word interprets how we view life and how we view the age to come. They did not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. But right there in verse 35, Jesus says something very profound, kind of the great paradox of the Christian life. It says, those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection of the dead. So there are, there are people who are going to be worthy to attain the life to come. Well, if we read the scriptures and we know our own natures, we know very clearly that we are not worthy. The Bible says that there is no, none righteous, no, not one. And here is the great paradox of the cross. What the cross says is that you are a sinner and deserve to die. That's what the cross says. The cross says that your sin was so heinous in the eyes of God that it deserves to be punished. So when we think about the cross and we sing of the cross, you need to understand that the cross is making a statement that you need to be saved. You have sin that needs to be dealt with. So in one sense, the cross says you are not worthy of eternity with God 
in his presence forever. But here's the beauty of it. The Bible doesn't just say that you're not worthy in the cross. The Bible says that Jesus Christ considers you infinitely worthy and valuable because he gave himself for you. He says you are valuable, that I love you, I'm willing to give myself for you, that you can experience the age to come by believing in me, by trusting in my death and resurrection, and by coming again on your behalf. If you believe in that, you can be worthy. See, because our worthiness of the age to come has really nothing to do with me and you. It has everything to do with who we are connected to. And we are connected to Christ. So when we repent and we turn from our sins and we trust in Christ, the Bible says is that we are one with Christ. There's only one who is worthy to be a son of the resurrection. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ because he was innocent and he died for sinners. But when he rose from the dead, the Bible says is that we now have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have the spirit of adoption that Christ has given to us. So we long for that day. We no longer dread the day of Jesus' coming, but we long for it. If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, can I just ask you that question? If I told you Jesus Christ was going to come tomorrow, the world was going to end, would you be ready? Do you think that you'd be worthy to attain the resurrection from the dead? Uh, we as Christians don't think that there's anything special about us. <laughs> we all know that we're sinners. But we know a great Savior. We trust in Christ. Well, after Jesus understands this, we, we see the declaration of the resurrection. The declaration of the resurrection. Jesus is continuing to talk to these Sadducees, and he's starting to lay down his argument. He declares why you can know the resurrection is true. Look what it says in verse 37. But that the dead are raised. The resurrection, even Moses showed. Now, why do you think he went to Moses? Well, the Sadducees didn't really trust the the writings and, and the prophets, but they trusted in the Torah. So Jesus is saying, you trust the law, you trust the word of Moses, let me show you how the resurrection is in the law of Moses. And what does he say? But the dead are raised, even Moses showed. In the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Isn't that great? See, he, he wasn't, God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, and I was the God of Jacob, or I was the God of, of Isaac. No, what did he say? I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. He's saying that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. They have experienced the resurrection because they believed in the promised one. You could see the resurrection all throughout the scripture. But what what Jesus also does, he he specifically points that passage which Bobby read to you, Exodus chapter 3, that says that God is a covenant-keeping God. That was the beginning of God's covenant with his people that I'm going to make you again a great nation. I'm going to deliver you from the hands of the Egyptians. Now, we all know this, that there's going to be days when we're going to get down. We're going to have days when our bodies are not going to feel what they they once did. Uh, We may be experiencing disease or cancer. 
There are going to be days when, when, when life seems to be falling apart around us. Relationships are fractured. Your finances are tough. And in those moments, what we need to anchor our souls on is that God keeps His promise. God says that when you trust in Him, He will give you a resurrection. So we don't need to listen to all those other preachers who have grown up in the Christian church and say that God wants you to be wealthy, healthy, and happy now. We want to trust what the Bible says. It says God wants you to be healthy, happy, and wealthy then, in the age to come. That's what we're going to hold on to. We are going to hold on to the promise of God that God will raise us from the dead because Christ was risen from the dead. That's our promise here in the Scripture. Remember what I said with these Sadducees, they neither knew the Scripture nor the power of God. We know the power of God because we have experienced the power of God in Christ. But Jesus goes on in verse 41. You know, after, sorry, verse 39, the scribes answered, Teacher, we have spoke, you have spoken well, and they no longer dared to ask him any question. You know, I think they've kind of learned their lesson. You know, okay, we're not going to bring these things up to Jesus. But look at verse 41. Jesus said to them, How can they say that Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord, God the Father, said to my Lord, the Messiah, Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? What Jesus basically is doing here is that the resurrection can be seen in, in the book of the law. The resurrection can be seen in the Psalms. You can't miss the resurrection if you read the scriptures right. Jesus Christ is declaring that this is the word that we trust. We trust God's word. Isn't it interesting when you look at Jesus' life, where does he typically come back to to prove his arguments? The word. So when you are arguing with people in the Christian church and those outside of it, what is your authority? The word. And the word cannot be your true authority unless you know the word. We should desire with all our hearts to write this word upon our hearts, to grow in our knowledge of the word so that we can, we can build up others with the truth found in God's word. If you are here and you want to grow in, in your reading of the word, your knowledge of the word, come talk to Bill or I and let us, let us help you figure out a way to grow in your knowledge of the scriptures. There is nothing like growing in Christ. But not only is it declared through the scriptures, we also have this, the opportunity this morning to declare the resurrection through communion. That's really what communion is. You know, as we've seen that baptism is the entrance into the Christian community, right? You're publicly going on record saying, I believe in Jesus' death and his resurrection, and now I claim to commit to, to walk a new life. What the Lord's Supper is, is that you're saying, I continue to believe. I'm going to remain and abide in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 11 says, chapter 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, in a moment, we'll be taking the, the bread. And every time we take the bread, we are reminded that Jesus Christ gave his body even to us who are not worthy, but who have experienced his worth because he died for us. His body was broken. 
as a reminder that our sin has been forgiven. It goes on, it says, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see that idea of until he comes means that Jesus Christ died and rose again, that he's in glory right now and he's going to come back. So every time we take the Lord's Supper, what we are saying to the world is we believe in the resurrection. We believe, we declare with all our, our, our bodies that Jesus Christ died and rose again. This is why the table is so important. The table of the Lord is extremely important for the health of a church community. If you know that you have an issue with another member of this congregation, can I challenge you to make it right before you take the Lord's Supper? If you have sin in your life, when we prepare this table, I pray that you would get yourself right with God. Declare in your own heart that you still believe, repent, and trust in Christ. If you are a baptized believer of a member of, of, a, of a church, and of, of, good, of good, good, good standing of a member of, of a church of like faith and order, you are welcome to participate in this supper. Uh, but if you're, if you're not a member of a local church and you have not uh, given your life to Christ, use this as an opportunity to, to remember what God offers you in Christ, how his body was broken, how his blood was spilled, so that you could be considered worthy to attain the resurrection of the dead. At this time, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper.